Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Goldfish learn how to drive. Israeli scientists have built a fish-operated vehicle, FOV, and claim to have trained six goldfish to move it around. They say the experiment demonstrates how navigational skills can translate between different environments. The study, published this month in the Behavioral Brain Research Journal, involved putting the fish into a water tank attached to a wheeled robot that was hooked up to a motion tracking camera. A computer program developed to respond to its movement towards the tank's walls then moved the FOV into the respective direction. Researchers from Ben-Gurion University found that the goldfish managed to maneuver the vehicle around a 3x4-meter room in search of a marked destination in return for a food pellet reward. They gradually improved, all while avoiding dead ends and correcting location inaccuracies the team wrote. The fish were able to complete the same task when starting the FOV from different points in the room, or when the target was moved or even when decoys were set up. While the trials lasted 30 minutes each, some of the fish ended up finding their targets in under a minute as the experiment progressed. The team recorded the number of times the fish got to their targets, how long it took them and the distance traveled. By the last session, the fish had exhibited control of the FOV and a high level of success. The results suggest that navigational ability is universal rather than specific to the environment the researchers said, adding that it supports the hypothesis that space representation and navigation skills possess a universal quality across species. The way space is represented in the fish brain and the strategies it uses may be as successful in a terrestrial environment as they are in an aquatic one the team noted, adding that goldfish may have the cognitive ability to learn a complex task in an environment completely unlike the one they evolved in. The team posted videos of the experiment and shared instructions to build mobile fish tanks on GIT Hub. In 2014, a team of Dutch computer scientists designed a similar goldfish at the wheel apparatus that was apparently intended to liberate fish all over the world. Mind-reading robot tested on humans reports. Chinese scientists have built a wearable robot that can reportedly read a human mind by monitoring brain waves and muscle activity. Developers claim the machine was able to recognize human intention with 96% accuracy. Testing the device on factory workers, researchers from the Intelligent Manufacturing Innovation Technology Center at China Three Gorges University apparently found that the volunteers did not need to issue verbal commands or perform gestures when they needed to grab a tool or a component. The developers noted that the robot reacted almost instantly picking up the required object and placing it on the workstation, according to the South China Morning Post, SCMP. The paper added that the team had published its findings in the domestic peer-reviewed China Mechanical Engineering Journal. The researchers could not be reached for additional comments. Such collaborative robots, or cobots could potentially increase assembly line production, the study noted. It added that their real-world application had remained limited, 
since their ability to recognize human intention is often inaccurate and unstable. To overcome this limitation, project lead scientist Dong Yuanfa explained, his team's robot was put through hundreds of hours of training by eight volunteers. The assembly line workers were outfitted with the machine, which combines a non-invasive brain wave detector and arm sensors. While the headgear apparently understood the volunteers' intentions with roughly 70% accuracy, the signal from the brain was weak. According to the SCMP, the workers needed to concentrate very hard if the robot was to get a clear message. But most grew too distracted by other thoughts after performing the repetitive factory tasks over time, the team said. Although the electrical signals from muscles collected by the arm sensors were said to be more stable these two lost strength as the workers grew tired. But the developers claimed that a mix of both brain and muscle signals may help the robot predict the next move with unprecedented accuracy the SCMP reported. However, the paper noted that it was uncertain whether these results obtained in a laboratory setting could be replicated on the factory floor. Although the sensors could be placed inside workers' hats and uniforms, the researchers suggested that sweat and irregular movements could affect signal quality. UK Army deployed to hospitals. Around 200 British soldiers have been deployed to London NHS hospitals amid severe staffing shortages that have put patient care at risk. Military medics have been tasked with aiding the NHS after at least 24 hospital trusts declared critical incidents, amid staffing shortages that risk compromising their ability to care for patients and provide priority services. The Ministry of Defence confirmed on Friday that 200 military personnel will be deployed for the next three weeks to fill gaps caused by staff having to self-isolate due to a Covid infection or coming into contact a positive case. The bulk of the force will be stationed in London hospitals, with the city having been hit particularly hard by the Omicron outbreak, pushing medical services beyond their limits. It comes as the Royal College of Nursing, RCN, told the government that it can no longer deny the NHS is facing a staffing crisis. Alongside the military medics in hospitals, the British Army will provide 32 co-responders to aid the South Central Ambulance Service until the end of March. This follows reports that some patients suffering suspected strokes or heart attacks are having to ask relatives to drive them to hospital due to long wait times for ambulances. The Prime Minister and others can no longer be dismissive of questions about the ability of NHS staff to deliver safe care the RCN's England director Patricia Marquise said. Despite ongoing concerns about the pressure facing the NHS and the decision to draft in the army, UK Business Minister Paul Scully claimed on Friday that the government still doesn't see a need for further Covid restrictions to battle the wave of Omicron cases. The situation facing NHS doctors and nurses in hospitals has been compounded by a report released on Thursday by the Cross-Party Health and Social Care Committee that warned the pandemic has created a backlog of 5.8 million people waiting for treatment. On Thursday, 
the UK recorded 194,747 new daily COVID infections, bringing the total number of cases for the past seven days to over 1.1 million. Interview with Gang Boss costs two journalists their lives. Two journalists were assassinated after interviewing a gang leader on the outskirts of the Haitian capital Port-au-Prince on Thursday as members of a rival criminal group opened fire on them. Three journalists, working for online outlets and a radio station, arrived in the Label 12 area on the day for an interview with one of the local crime lords. Shortly after the meeting had ended, they were attacked by a rival gang. Two journalists identified as Amadi John Wesley and Wilkins Lewisint were shot dead, while their colleague was lucky to escape. The bandits then burned the bodies of their victims, according to reports in the local media. Several armed gangs are currently fighting for control of Label 12, a strategic area, through which one of the key routes to the southern part of the Caribbean country lies. The chaotic situation with organized crime has deteriorated even further in one of the world's most impoverished nations since the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moyes six months ago. The gangs have expanded their activities beyond the poorer neighborhoods of Port-au-Prince, with police lacking the resources and manpower required to counter them. There were at least 950 kidnappings in the country in 2021 alone, according to human rights groups. Spy chief reacts to China's mockery of Mi-6 and CIA. A Chinese parody of the James Bond series mocking Western intelligence agencies was noticed by the UK's spy chief. Mi-6 head Richard Moore tipped his hat to Chinese state media for giving his agency free publicity after Xinhua News produced a satirical video poking fun at London and Washington's intelligence services. Entitled No Time to Die Laughing, the oddball James Bond mock-up centers on two Mi-6 spies agents 0.07 and 0.06 who are seen discussing the agency's fixation on China as a top priority over a sitcom-like laugh track. Responding to the leaked video on Thursday after it was posted by Xinhua, Moore thanked the outlet for its interest in the Mi-6, as well as the unexpected free publicity. Moore also shared a link to a hawkish speech he delivered at the International Institute for Strategic Studies last November, in which he dubbed Beijing the single greatest priority for the spy agency, apparently giving inspiration for the satire. This is not just about being able to understand China and Chinese decision-making. We need to be able to operate undetected as a secret intelligence agency everywhere within the worldwide surveillance web more argued at the time, blasting Beijing as an authoritarian state with different values from ours. First published earlier this week, the clip also takes shots at the United States, playfully highlighting the global spying apparatus created by its National Security Agency. NSA, as well as the harsh treatment of whistleblowers and journalists like Edward Snowden and Julian Assange. Of Washington's 17 major intelligence outfits, none have yet acknowledged the video or thanked China for the limelight as Moore did. 
The parody goes on to defend Chinese telecom Huawei from allegations that it surveils its customers using secret backdoors with Agent 0.06 calling the idea nonsense. While former U.S. National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien previously claimed Washington has evidence that Huawei can access sensitive and personal information on users' devices, he made none of it public, and U.S. officials have declined to say whether they have ever observed the company using the alleged backdoor. Australia cancels tennis star's visa amid Djokovic saga. Renata Varakova who has already played in a warm-up event in Melbourne, has been detained by Australian Border Force officials and taken to the same hotel in which they are currently holding Novak Djokovic. Varakova, 38, has reportedly been informed by the country's immigration officials that she must leave the country after she entered with a similar medical exemption to the one secured by world number one Djokovic. The world number 81 is also being held at the Park Hotel in Carlton, according to ABC. It is unclear when Varakova entered Australia before competing at the Gippsland Trophy women's doubles event, which began in Melbourne on January 4, alongside partner Kartazina Pitta. It is currently unknown if Varakova intends to challenge the decision to deport her from the country. The details of her medical exemption are understood to be related to the world number 81 recovering from a prior COVID-19 infection within the past six months which suggests that she is unvaccinated. However, Varakova would have received a vaccine exemption granted by Tennis Australia. She is thought to be in dialogue with Czech diplomats regarding the situation. The Czech embassy in Canberra is yet to make a statement on the matter. The detainment comes after Australian Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews suggested on Friday that immigration officials had received intelligence that further players had entered the country with incorrect or insufficient visa applications. Information gathered by the Australian Border Force, she told the BBC, indicate, s. There are some individuals here now that have not met the entry requirements, and we have to investigate that. Andrews did not elaborate on how many players are currently under investigation. Serbia superstar Djokovic is the most high-profile player to have fallen foul of the country's immigration laws after he was detained this week shortly after landing in Melbourne following a 15-hour flight from Dubai. Officials determined that his visa application did not satisfy the requirements for entry. He is currently being held in the hotel, which is five miles outside of Melbourne Park, ahead of a Monday hearing which will decide if he is to be deported or will be granted special dispensation to play the tournament. Djokovic is chasing a fourth successive Australian Open title as well as a record-breaking 21st Grand Slam win. Australia says quarantine Djokovic free to leave country at any time. Australian Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews has said that Serbian tennis star Novak Djokovic is free to depart Australia at any time after he was detained in a quarantine facility for not being vaccinated against COVID-19. 
Djokovic who arrived in Melbourne on Wednesday to compete at the Australian Open had his visa cancelled and was detained by officers after the country reversed a vaccine exemption that the state of Victoria and Tennis Australia had granted him. The player has since been detained at a quarantine hotel for refugees and his treatment has sparked condemnation from the Serbian government and hordes of his fans. Djokovic is appealing against the Australian government's move and is scheduled to have a court hearing on Monday, just a week before the tournament is set to begin on 17 January. In a statement on Friday, Andrews attempted to curb discontent and dismiss allegations that Djokovic was being held captive in Australia, claiming he was free to leave the country at any time. Mr Djokovic is not being held captive in Australia. He is free to leave at any time that he chooses to do so and border force will actually facilitate that Andrews said, accusing Djokovic of failing to have the necessary documentation that is needed to enter Australia by not having proof of vaccination. Djokovic's family claimed that Australia's treatment of the tennis ace was akin to trampling on the Serbian people and accused Prime Minister Scott Morrison's government of being a political oligarchy. In her own statement, Djokovic's wife Jelena expressed sadness at being separated from her husband during Orthodox Christmas and said love and respect should be observed across every single border. Why is Novak Djokovic set to be deported from Australia? Novak Djokovic has been central to the first sporting scandal of 2022 as the Serbian ace faces being barred from entering Australia ahead of what could have been a record-breaking appearance at the Grand Slam in Melbourne. The row has triggered a diplomatic spat between Serbia and Australia as well as an avalanche of reaction across the media. Here. We look at the key questions and the state of play surrounding the Serbian tennis icon. The Australian border force confirmed that Djokovic failed to provide appropriate evidence to support his request to enter the country. The ABF can confirm that Mr Djokovic failed to provide appropriate evidence to meet the entry requirements to Australia, and his visa has been subsequently cancelled they said. Non-citizens who do not hold a valid visa on entry or who have had their visa cancelled will be detained and removed from Australia. What have government officials said? Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison previously argued that Djokovic's case was one for officials in Victoria State to wade through but, perhaps after noting the wide consensus of public opinion being opposed to Djokovic's entry and accusations that the rich and powerful were subject to a different set of rules than everybody else, Morrison weighed in again. Mr Djokovic's visa has been cancelled he wrote on Twitter. Rules are rules, especially when it comes to our borders. No one is above these rules. Our strong border policies have been critical to Australia having one of the lowest death rates in the world from COVID, we are continuing to be vigilant. This statement came after Morrison had previously decreed that Djokovic would be on the first plane home unless he could satisfy officials as to the veracity of his medical exemption from being vaccinated, as well as affirming that it was the responsibility of the traveller to ensure that all of necessary applications were in order prior to entry. 
The argument seemingly centers on the issue of whether of a COVID infection in the past six months is a valid reason for an exemption to enter the country. It has emerged that Australian government health officials warned Tennis Australia back in November that would not be the case. In Djokovic's instance, the federal government has clearly overruled Victoria State and the tennis authorities. Is the situation political? Perhaps not initially but it certainly is now. Morrison's apparent haste in addressing the issue largely reflects the wider will of his constituents and can be seen in a certain light as political grandstanding, as well as a desire to be viewed as strict on border controls in a country which has endured one of the world's harshest lockdowns throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. The situation has also tipped over from being a domestic dispute to an international incident after Serbian leader Aleksandr Vucic condemned Australia's treatment of their most famous sporting export. I told our Novak that the whole of Serbia is with him and that our bodies are doing everything to see that the harassment of the world's best tennis player is brought to an end immediately Vucic wrote on Instagram. Morrison, though, stood firm. Australia has sovereign borders and clear rules that are non-discriminatory as so many countries do, it has to do with the fair and reasonable application of Australia's border protection laws, all I can say is that the evidence medical exemption that was provided was found to be insufficient he said in response. There have been suggestions that Djokovic's reputation of being opposed to vaccinations has played a part in the fur particularly amid reports that two other players with similar exemption requests to him had successfully entered the country. Furthermore, former tournament director Paul McNamee said to ABC TV that Djokovic deserves his day on court, not in court, in my opinion. He added on Twitter, for those asking, all players go through the same visa process overseen by Tennis Australia to play the Australian Open as non-Australians are currently not able to enter. So it beggars belief that Djokovic is the only player that has had his visa granted and then rescinded. Where is Djokovic now? Djokovic will certainly have some time to reflect on the fur, given that he has been placed in an isolation hotel, known as an alternative place of detention by the Australian government five miles away from Melbourne Park for a period of 72 hours. His belongings remain in storage at the local airport. The hotel in question has been the source of numerous complaints from detainees in recent months, with accusations of maggot-infested food and bugs being commonplace in its rooms. It has also been blamed for outbreaks of COVID-19 as well as having reports of fires recently. The Serbian ace has reportedly asked to move to a nearby apartment due to what he claims are hazardous conditions. It is also understood that the windows to his hotel room are sealed shut and that air is circulated by an internal air conditioning system. Around 32 other detainees or asylum seekers are thought to be staying at the hotel currently, where only employees are allowed come and go. In October, Nearly half of the detainees were found to be positive for the Delta strain of COVID-19. Last February before his win at the Australian Open, Djokovic completed a period of quarantine at a luxury hotel in Adelaide.
what will the outcome be? This is where we enter the realm of speculation. Djokovic will remain in the country until at least Monday when a hearing will be held to determine if the ban on him entering Australia should be overturned after an agreement was struck between Djokovic's representatives and the Minister for Immigration not to deport him until then. The hearing will take place around a week before Djokovic's defence of his Australian Open title is due to begin. But one thing remains certain. Even if Djokovic's legal team are able to sway the legal proceedings in the Serbs' favour, don't expect the country's tennis fans to be quite so accommodating inside Melbourne Park. Sex, lies and trade deals, how a businessman bribed half the US Navy. Manila, 2007 The chauffeured Mercedes crawled south for half an hour in the interminable traffic the turbid waters of Manila Bay on the right. The middle-aged men packed inside the cars were in an exuberant mood. Leonard Glenn Francis was taking out the senior commanders of the U.S. 7th Fleet. These were the most powerful Navy officers in Asia, and they controlled the movements of around 60 ships and submarines. 150 aircraft, and 20,000 sailors in a huge operational area, stretching from Hawaii to India. The men moved quickly through an air-conditioned lobby and through a curtain at the back. On the other side, Filipino women many just students sat in rows in a kind of fishbowl, identifiable not by their names but by the numbers attached to their skimpy outfits. Always the Big Boss or Lion King to these Navy officers, Leonard dominated the action. The after-party was in the $4,000 a night MacArthur suite at the Manila Hotel. It was General Douglas MacArthur's home and operational command during World War II. The men piled into the Spanish mission-style room with wooden ceiling beams, marble tiles, an ornate chandelier and heavily draped curtains. Leonard, stocked the suite with $10,000 bottles of Dom Perignon. The two-bedroom suite was filled with MacArthur memorabilia. In the suite's study, two ornately carved wooden chairs the only objects to survive the Battle of Manila, stood in front of a desk. One of the men, quite drunk by now, opened a case on the desk containing a replica of MacArthur's famous corncob pipe and grabbed a woman. Fat Leonard, as he came to be known, recalls the scene as follows, being warriors, they had been at sea for such a long time the aviators, your nukes, they are, are, captains of ships. They've got this inner side of them that is a beast that needs to come out. We went there and picked up a bunch of karaoke girls and booked them out and brought them back. They are like rock stars. They are living their life living their dreams things that they will never ever, ever again do in their lifetime. Nobody would give them that kind of party that I do. You know, they just started stripping and having sex right there. The pipe was used as a dildo on the hooker, making a mockery of General MacArthur's memorabilia. They totally desecrated and insulted he says, laughing. It was a mass orgy. That's how deep we were with the Navy. The entire command the chain of command had to be in your pocket. And that's what happened. Everybody was in my pocket. 
I had them in my palm and was just rolling them around. As he says in the trailer to the interview, I had the Navy by their balls. I turned my guns against them because they betrayed me. Fat Leonard was a Malaysian businessman who bribed numerous officers and others in the U.S. Navy until he was arrested. He paid for prostitutes and orgies for naval officers, ranking all the way up to Admiral. He threw lavish parties and $30,000 dinners, sent gifts for the officers' wives little things like Chanel and Gucci handbags, Kahibar cigars the nice stuff that no officer or his wife should have to live without. In return, the officers he corrupted made sure their ships docked at ports across Asia that Fat Leonard controlled. Since the 1980s, Leonard made bank by provisioning the Navy at extortionate rates for fuel, food, even security, by providing what he called a ring of steel around the ships as if the U.S. Navy should need help defending itself. The ring of steel was nothing but a line of barges tied up around the military ships to prevent an assault like the one that happened in 2000 in Yemen's harbor when two Al-Qaeda operatives rammed a boat full of explosives into the side of the USS Cole, a guided missile destroyer, killing 17 sailors and injuring another 37. 2001 became a very good year for Leonard after 9 forward slash 11 for the husbanding monopoly of his provisioning company called Glen Defense Marine Asia. You might say Leonard got fat off his contracts with the US government from that period on, living in a $130 million mansion in Singapore where he kept 20 cars, including Rolls Royces and militarized Hummers, all proceeds from his US Navy contracts. Fat Leonard was a larger-than-life character in more than just weight, where he took the scales up to 160 kilograms a whopping 352 pounds on his 6-foot-3 frame. He wore stars and stripes ties, had Lee Greenwood's God Bless the USA as his ringtone, et sloppy joes and rooted for US baseball teams, so the people he served really liked him. And he liked the USA because it was very good to him without most people in government knowing it was being very good to him. Fat Leonard loved to contract with the US military. But now Fat Leonard is mad. It's not just that his money-making empire came crashing down around his feet in 2013 when he was arrested. He pled guilty in 2015 to all that and is still awaiting sentencing under house arrest in San Diego. No, Fat Leonard is mad because some of the people in his pocket the highest higher-ups who took his bribes didn't get taken down with him, though none of what he did could have happened without them. They remain at large while the legal system shows no apparent interest in them, and that made the usually jolly Leonard who sounds drunk with power in his interviews, mad enough to speak out publicly. Oh sure, the corruption scandal led to various naval officers being charged, jailed for a while and demoted, and to broken marriages, the usual folderol that comes with such scandals. But Leonard wants to know, where is the prison time for the high brass that he himself is now facing? Now that advanced kidney cancer has left him without much to lose, Fat Leonard is crying out publicly. Journalist Tom Wright recently interviewed him, 
and even Wright admits that, during the first interviews, Leonard's natural charm conned him into feeling sympathetic toward his tale of a tough childhood and a man who made good by taking care of the U.S. Navy's most urgent needs. I did like him at one point says Wright, but then, there was some personal cruelties to women in his life. The misogyny that runs through this whole story is shocking. At the very end of our interaction, I challenged him on a lot of these things. That was the last time we talked, and his reactions to it is very, very telling. At one point in that final episode, Leonard said to Wright in apparent surprise, I don't know why you're so worried about hookers and the hooker they were talking about was the mother of his children. Wright ties his concerns about the misogyny to the kinds of things that happened in the tailhook scandal in the 90s as becoming endemic in the armed forces back then because women were new in the U.S. military, and some male soldiers apparently did not know how to comport themselves around them as colleagues in war. It's not a salacious connection for Wright to make because the big key to Leonard's success with the Navy was orchestrating orgies. Leonard's long success story wasn't just about the great job he did in providing the Ring of Steel. He also did an enthusiastic job of running sex rings for soldiers a ring of beds, as it were. It didn't matter that he charged exorbitant fees for providing these illegal services, because those buying were using U.S. government money, not their own, and their participation in such services virtually guaranteed they'd never squeal on Leonard. Leonard got a taste of his own treatment of women when he was arrested for his crimes. He was stripped, chained, handcuffed, and made to squat. Here you are treated like an animal once inside he complained. They stripped away the dignity of a man who claims he had enjoyed the power of steering $20-billion ships to ports of his own choosing, boasting that he could effectively position the U.S. Navy as a civilian by choosing where he'd offer particular services. He was also charged with obtaining classified information from those he corrupted. Leonard says the real scandal is that some top admirals who benefited from his provisioning remain free, some of them having been allowed to retire honorably, even though he had submitted evidence that incriminated them. I feel completely betrayed says Leonard. They asked me to name all those involved or face 50 years in jail and I spilled the beans. I gave them about 40 names. I told basically how deep the bribery was in the US Navy. It basically shook the foundation of the Navy. I felt very upset because just look at what I am going through. My entire life has been destroyed. My businesses, my family, everything is gone, you know, being hit like a tsunami. Yet. One four-star admiral I named was let off scot-free just because he was appointed by the President and the Senate. There is no way they are going to embarrass the government by indicting him. It would have been a humiliation. Alas, the good times did not last forever. Fat Leonard's empire has collapsed, and he is palpably angry because the Epstein-like secrets that he held on military brass did him no good. The protection he thought he had wrapped around himself like a ring of steel failed to hold together. 
I had over 2,800 staff working for me in over 30 countries and everything folded. So many innocent people lost their jobs, many families were destroyed. This was deliberate financial ruin brought upon me. Leonard's crimes and those who joined in them were reported to the NCIS, Naval Criminal Investigative Service, by a Navy wife who was physically mistreated, yet for years, nothing was done about anything that was reported because Leonard had, via his secrets, essentially bought everyone off while people were still enjoying his services. According to Wright, Leonard even managed to corrupt one of the top NCIS officers corrupt usually meaning, in stories like this, to get someone to partake in these sexual services, thereby assuring Leonard's protection from the top of the NCIS, lest the officer in question incriminate himself. As Leonard put it in the initial interview, everybody has their needs. And I gave them that sense of confidence, and I also provided them what they wanted, and they could trust me. I played professional. I played sexual whatever you needed anything. It worked like a well-lubricated machine, concealing its own misdoings, until one day it didn't. Dogs understand humans better than expected, study shows. Canines can distinguish between different languages as well as between real language and gibberish, new research reveals dogs are capable of recognizing familiar human language and differentiating it from an unfamiliar one, a fresh study suggests. Canines can also tell the difference between familiar words regardless of intonation. Our canine pets appear to be able to distinguish various languages even without prior training. Research by the Hungarian Iovos Lorand University in Budapest has revealed. A dog can understand whether someone is speaking a familiar language or an unfamiliar one. They are also quite capable of understanding whether someone is actually saying something or just uttering nonsensical words, the scientists discovered. A team led by Laura Quayer placed 18 dogs into a magnetic resonance imaging. MI, machine and scanned their brains while playing excerpts from the children's novella The Little Prince in Spanish and Hungarian. Two of the dogs were familiar with Spanish while the rest were used to Hungarian, but none of the test subjects had heard both languages before. The researchers also played the excerpts backwards to study the dog's ability to detect scrambled speech. The results appeared to be even more promising than expected, according to the scientists. We found that they know more than I expected about human language Quayer said. The study published in the peer-reviewed journal Neuroimage showed different activity patterns in the first auditory cortex of the dog's brains when the canine sought to understand if some language was being spoken or just nonsense utterances. Then. Activity in the second auditory cortex helped them discern if the language was familiar or not. The interesting thing here is that there was a difference in the dog's brain response to the familiar and the unfamiliar language said Attila Andix, the head of the animal study department at the Iovos Lorand University. This is the first non-primate species for which we could show spontaneous language ability he added. According to the scientists, 
dogs become familiar with the auditory regularities of the language they are exposed to during their lives with humans and can then understand that a new language is spoken. This is actually pretty similar to what we see with very young proverbal infants who can differentiate between languages spontaneously before they start to speak and extolled CNN. In earlier research, the scientists also found out that dogs can tell the difference between various familiar words and phrases, even if they are spoken in a similar manner. We saw that some words are indeed processed independently of intonation and explained. Both how we say it and what we say matters. Now, the team wants to find out if this ability is a dog's specialty developed through thousands of years of living among humans, or a previously unknown general ability of non-human species. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast. We thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.